Well, on this New Year's Day, I thought it would be fitting for us to take a look at a New Year's celebration in the Bible. So this morning we're going to look at New Year's Day, 445 B.C. Let's turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. New Year's Day is often a time for resolutions. We know that there's things that we've failed at, things that we've fallen short on, things we want to do better. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. It's a new year. A time for a fresh start. And the fresh start that I have in mind this morning has to do with our relationship to God's Word, the Bible. Through much of this upcoming year, we're going to be studying Psalm 119 together. And it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's all about God's word, God's law. And I think this will be a really challenging, eye-opening, and helpful study for us this year. So as I thought about New Year's and what I know I want to grow in this year, Nehemiah 8 seemed like an appropriate choice for us this morning. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah are uh, both probably written by Ezra, and they really form one story together. They together tell the story of the Jews coming back from exile in Babylon, getting a fresh start in the land of Judah. So the Jews had been captive in Babylon. God had brought that about because of their persistent sin. But now the time had come for them to return to the land and get reestablished there. And there's a lot of work to do. They had to rebuild the temple. They have to reestablish their family life according to God's word. They had to rebuild the walls of the city. The Jews return to the land then in several waves. So they don't all come at once. Zerubbabel leads a group back to the land and he leads the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra leads a group back and he teaches God's law specifically to the families the people make some changes in their family lives in an attempt to kind of come into conformity with God's word. And then Nehemiah leads a group back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So we have the three areas of government reestablished, the temple or the church, the family and the state or the city. So after those three stories of rebuilding, the people gather together under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and they hear from God's word. And that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is like their fresh start, their new beginning. And <clears throat> when they gather together in Nehemiah 8, it's on the New Year's Day of the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah. And it's a, there's a two-day celebration, and you're going to see both of those days have to do with the story of what happens. And I'm not going to really talk much about the festival, but other than just to say that's when this is happening. And then that's the, that's the beginning of the fall feasts for the Jews. And so you have a couple more things coming in close succession after that, including the Feast of Booths, which happens about two weeks later. And you'll see that they're about to celebrate that feast um, by the end of this chapter. Now, in the big picture, by the end of the book of Nehemiah, we find that despite their best efforts, things are still not the way they should be. There's people in the temple that aren't supposed to be there. They're failing to carry out some of the duties that are supposed to be done in the temple. Their family lives haven't been fully reformed. 
They're breaking God's Sabbath laws in their families and in their civic life together. So the book ends by letting us know that we're still in need of a permanent solution to the sin problem. In other words, it points us forward to Jesus. Jesus will be the one who provides the solution in worship and in family and in national life. But in the midst of that message, as the people gather together, we see them at least moving in the right direction as they turn to God's law. They don't have the means to keep God's law perfectly, but God's law is what they need for direction. Once Jesus comes, he brings the new covenant. He accomplishes salvation. He pays the penalty of the sins of his people, and he gives the Spirit who empowers us then to keep God's law. So there's much to learn from the story that we find in Nehemiah 8. The law of God is exactly where they should be turning. And it points us to Jesus, who perfectly keeps that law on our behalf. Now, as Christians, when we look to God's law, we see a standard that we have failed to meet. But we also see a Savior who did meet that standard for us. The law then still serves as a pattern for us of how we're supposed to live. It reveals God's character and his will to us. So we don't seek to be justified in God's sight by keeping the law on our own, because we could never do that. Instead, we're justified by faith in Jesus, Jesus who kept the law perfectly. But we do look to the law as the perfect expression of how to love God and love others. So let's look at the story then that we find in Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. 
Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Well, I want to just kind of break down what we see in that passage and make some observations as to what's happening there. And I think it'll become pretty obvious how we can apply this in our own life today. So for starters, let's look at the gathering of the people. How did the people gather to hear God's word? Well, verse 1 tells us that they gathered as one man. In other words, they were united in their purpose here to hear God's word. Now, of course, these are all unique families and individuals. They have different likes and dislikes, different hobbies, different things they like to do with their free time. But they gathered as one man because hearing God's word was a top priority for all of them. And that verse also says that it was the people who told Ezra to read God's law. This is not simply the leader's telling the people what they should do. This is the people telling the leaders that they wanted to hear from God's word. There's an eagerness and a hunger for God's word here. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the kind of longing for God's word that should characterize us as Christians. We should also take note of who was at the gathering. It wasn't just the men, and it wasn't just the adults. Verse 2 tells us that it was both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. That means that the children were present. Maybe not the babies and the toddlers. Mom might have stayed home with them, but all the rest were there. And verse 3 says it again to make sure we catch it. The reading and preaching and teaching of God's word is for all the people. Just like all the people were present here, Jesus welcomed the children to come to him. We do the same thing as a church today. We want families together to hear God's word and his teaching. Now let's look at what they did with the law. 
What did they do with the law? Well, first, they read the law. And it specifically says that they did so clearly. The reading of God's word is important. The Bible alone is the authority, not what any man says. This was one of the important battles that was fought during the Reformation. The key points of the Reformation have been boiled down to what we call five solas. Sola just means alone. And one of them, sola scriptura, scripture alone, is a very important point that it's communicating to us. It doesn't mean that the church isn't important or that we shouldn't read books or listen to pastors or podcasts or anything like that. Sola Scriptura is talking about where the authority in our lives is found. John MacArthur explains it this way. He says, Sola Scriptura simply means that all truth necessary for our salvation and spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in Scripture. You don't need to go to some other source. The teaching of the church, a particular pastor, a special revelation, a vision of some kind, everything you need is in scripture. That's why scripture is so important. And that's why each Sunday we read the scripture together. We don't just come together to share opinions or our thoughts or anything else like that. When Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a younger pastor, he told Timothy, he said, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's what a pastor is supposed to do. Read the word, teach it, and encourage people to obey it. And that leads us to see in Nehemiah 8 what the leaders did along with reading God's word. In verse 7, we read that these leaders helped the people to understand the law. So the law was explained. In verse 8, after they read the law, they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This wasn't just a formal reading reading the words on the page without giving it much thought, you know, just going through the motions. No, they taught the people. They explained God's law so the people could understand it. Like Paul told Timothy, read the word, teach it, and exhort the people. And that's why I try in sermons to explain the text in a way that people can understand. And it's why we're always open for questions. Because we we want to be able to understand God's word. And so if there's things that we don't understand, we want to work through those things and wrestle through them together. The point is that we understand God's word. When we gather together, it's not just a formal performance where we're going through the motions of church. We want to actually understand God's word. Take it into our minds and our hearts so that it becomes part of us. And here it seems, too, that they did this in smaller groups as well because there's quite a few leaders involved in doing the explaining and teaching. So you have them reading it to the whole group and then you have a whole list of guys who helped them to explain it. In other words, they're working in their smaller, you know, gatherings as well. So that pictures for us the large group and small group settings for learning God's word. In our church today, we try to do this by gathering in a large group for our worship service and then also in smaller groups. So we gather for classes that are age appropriate and we gather for community groups where we can talk more and discuss things together. We want to learn from God's word on every level possible. 
Well, how did the people respond when the law was read and explained? Let's talk about the response of the people. Verse 3 tells us that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Literally, it says, the ears of the people were to the book of the law. In other words, they were eager. They were attentive. They wanted to hear this. Does that describe you? What's your relationship with God's word like? Are you eager to hear it? Are you attentive to what it has to say? Or are you distracted by your phone or your to-do list or something else? Verse 4 says that the people made a wooden platform for Ezra to stand on to read the law. That has a practical purpose. Everyone can see him and hear it better, but it also shows respect and reverence. The law is over the people, visually there. Verse 5 says the people stood to hear the reading. And by the way, they're standing for hours. And again, this shows their attitude toward God's law. Verse 6 says that the people said, Amen, which means agreement with what was being read. And they lifted up their hands to honor God. And they bowed their heads and worshipped with their faces to the ground. All of these things show the people's respect and reverence for the word of God. Now, none of these specific physical activities are given to us as rules, but each of them show the people's mindset toward God's word. And we should share that mindset however we demonstrate it. Verse 9 tells us then that all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They were sorrowful because they realized their sin against God's law. And this is part of what God's law does in our lives. It shows us how we've fallen short of God's standard. It shows us that we are sinful. Commentator Matthew Henry explains on this verse, he says, the law works death and speaks terror, shows men their sins and their misery and danger because of sin, and thunders a curse against everyone that continues not in every part of his duty. When was the last time you were convicted by God's word? When you heard what God's word said, and you looked at your own life, and you had true sorrow for your sin. But then the story takes a dramatic turn. Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites spoke to the people and said, Don't weep. Don't mourn. This day is holy to the Lord. And not only don't weep, but rejoice. Celebrate. Eat good food and drink good wine. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is a really important part of the story. I want to pause here, and I don't have these, I want to share five things here, and they're not on the PowerPoint, but five things that we just observe from this point alone. First, this can only happen because of the gospel. God gives his people the law at Sinai, but he also reveals himself as a God who's merciful and gracious. He forgives sin. And since the people have seen their failure and their sin, breaking God's law, their sorrow can only be reversed by God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. 
And that's ultimately only possible because of Jesus. Second, Nehemiah tells them that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Now that joy comes with the gospel, with God's forgiveness and grace. That joy that comes in the gospel is actually what strengthens us to live as his people, to live in obedience to God's law. Third, Nehemiah and Ezra are not downplaying the people's sin. They're not saying that their sorrow was wrong. Instead, they're teaching the people that grieving must be followed by rejoicing. That's the proper end result of repentance. Rejoicing in God's mercy and grace. Fourth, the people had control over their own emotions. Another way to say that is that their emotions were subject to God's word. They were sorrowful, but when they were instructed to stop sorrowing, they did. They turned to rejoicing. Matthew Henry again comments here. He says, He that hath such a rule as this over his own spirit is better than the mighty. We live in a day and age of emotionally immature people. So many people are driven by their emotions. Emotions are never a valid excuse for sin. And emotions are not the proper standard of what's right and wrong. Christians are to be people who are subject, even in their emotions, to the rule of the word of God. And fifth, we need to see why the people rejoiced. They did not rejoice because they had good food and good wine. Those things were tools that aided their rejoicing. Verse 12 tells us that they rejoiced because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Understanding God's word led to their rejoicing. And again, Matthew Henry is helpful here. He says, the, the better we understand the word of God, the more comfort we shall find in it. The better we understand the word of God, the more comfort we shall find in it. God's law is what was being declared, and that led to sorrow for their sin. But then it led to rejoicing, and that rejoicing came when they understood what was being read to them. The law and the gospel are not at odds. They are partners bringing God's character and his will and his grace and his mercy to us. So we have this event on New Year's Day of the reading of God's law and the people's repentance and rejoicing. Well, what happens next? Well, the next day, verse 13 tells us, the heads of the houses with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra in order to study the words of the law. Okay, so here we see the leadership of the fathers. The men set themselves to learn. On the first day, the whole people began to understand God's law, but there was more work to be done, and the men took the lead. Men should be studiers of God's word. Men should take the lead. And once they studied, they realized it was time for the Feast of Booths. 
And this hadn't been celebrated for a very long time. The text says that, that feast hadn't been celebrated since the time of Joshua. So when they came into the land under the leadership of Joshua, from that time all the way, the time they were in the land, they were taken into exile, and now they finally come back. That whole time, they had not been following God's instructions for the feasts, for the festivals. But now they've turned their attention to study God's word again. And the men, the fathers, study God's word and they say, look, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Let's do it. Let's obey God's word. And the men are the ones who take the lead in that. So they, they made preparations and they led their families to celebrate the feast. And this was an all-encompassing obedience. Note how it's described in verse 16. They made booths on their roof, in their courts, in the temple, and in the city squares. In other words, in their private home life, in their community life, in their religious life, and in their civic life. In every area of life, they have set themselves to obey God's word. We need men today who do the work of studying God's word, leading their families, and obeying God's law in every area of life. So let's boil it down to the main idea. What are we seeing in this passage? God's people revere and obey God's law. We have to boil it down. That's what we're seeing. God's people revere and obey. Everything about this story emphasizes the people's submissive, reverent, obedient attitude toward God's law. They gathered and asked to hear God's law. And it wasn't just a few, it was the whole people, men, women, and children. The law was read out loud to all the people, and it was explained so that everyone could understand it. The people were attentive. Their ears were inclined toward God's word. They were eager to hear it, and they were reverent. They stood in respect for God's law. They bowed their faces down in worship. And the people's response was that they were sorrowful when they realized how disobedient they had been. They were repentant. But under the direction of Ezra and Nehemiah, they turned to rejoicing because of God's forgiveness. They celebrated what God had done, what he had promised in his word. And then the men stepped up to lead. They studied God's law. They led their families to obey that law in every area of life. God's people revere and obey God's law. Hopefully you can see how a story like this should shape your life. There are some important lessons for us here. First, what is your attitude toward God's word? I'm sure you agree with it. You don't argue with it, but that's not what I'm asking. Are you eager for it? Do you seek it out? When the church gathers, is it a priority for you? Is it duty, drudgery, or is it a privilege? Is it sweet like honey? Is it like food to satisfy your hunger? Second, parents, are you giving your children an expectation that God's law is for them too? When the church gathers, it's for them too. Sure, young children may not catch everything, but neither do us adults. 
the kids can understand more than we often give them credit for. And as you see in this text, God's word is for everyone who could understand. Third, is your heart open to hearing correction from God's word? Are you ready to receive conviction of your sin? We should come to God's word with a submissive posture. Fourth, do you have the joy of the Lord? When God's word convicts, do you remain in shame and guilt? Or do you bring it to Christ and receive forgiveness and the grace of the gospel? Every one of us is a lawbreaker. We all deserve the penalty of death because we've all broken God's law. But Jesus kept God's law perfectly. As our representative, he went to the cross and paid the penalty that he did not deserve because he was bearing that penalty on our behalf. And the joy of that good news is our strength. God gives us strength to obey his law by the joy that's gifted to us in the gospel. So live in that joy and strength. And finally, men, are you leading? Are you the one in your home who studies God's word so that you can apply it to your family's life? Ladies, are you supportive of your husband's leadership in this area? Are you responsive to it? Do you encourage it? New Year's Day, 445 BC, was a day when God's people committed themselves to his law, to his word. So how about New Year's Day 2023? Will this be a year when our church grows in commitment to God's word? May God make it so. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, as we've listened to the story of the reading of the law under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are so many just obvious practical applications to our lives. I pray that we would be people who have a love a desire, an eagerness, an attentiveness to your word, that we'd be submissive to it, that we would want to receive the correction that comes with it and the joy that comes with the good news of the gospel, that there is forgiveness and mercy and grace in Christ. Would you help us to understand that good news so that we have that joy strengthening us to live according to your law? May our families and our church be characterized by a love for your word. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.